Hey everyone, uh, hopefully you can hear me. Uh, this is episode 19, called Revolving Doors of Dishonesty. Um, sometimes we think of clever titles, sometimes not so much. Uh, it's been a long, shitty week. Um, but as we saw in the aftermath of the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, um, I, I think it's most people can agree that uh, social media is the place where you should be nowhere near when things like this happen. Um, you get everyone in their takes flying hard and fast. And again, as I noted on our podcast, before anybody has a chance to know what's going on, who's responsible, the circumstances, um, fingers are getting pointed and reasons that have nothing to do with these incidences are getting blamed and getting pushed. Uh, we saw shortly after, I think it was either the day of or the day after, I think it was Ted Cruz who mentioned uh, a thing called w one entry. And what is that? And that means in buildings like schools or just buildings you need secure, there's one point of entry. And almost instantly, uh, our, who I like to call the, the cool kid journal table, uh, decided to snark on this and dunk on this, and specifically names like Dave Weigel, um, Wesley Laurie, uh, Karen Tumulty, the, the same usual suspects, uh, use this as an opportunity to simply dunk on Ted Cruz without apparently doing any bit of research on this concept. I noted um, that I had spoken to someone I know who's an elementary school teacher and their building is a one access entry point building. Uh, it's a K through 12, it's a K through uh, six, sixth grade, or I also, it might be junior high as well building. And uh, they told me that it's specifically one point of entry is the front door and the rest of the doors are key coded, which means you need to have a slide card to get in them uh, from the outside. They do open to the outside. Um, I had noted that on my podcast, and I'm going to read this again for those of you who missed it. Uh, this was a podcast subscriber of mine said, I want to talk about the hysteria about the only one door in school is crazy. I live in a very rural community in Western New York. I have two kids in elementary school, fifth grade and first grade. We have one school for K through 12 and my kids graduate with less than 40 kids in their classes. There's only one entrance to the school and you have to be buzzed in. You can then only go into an office where you explain why you were there and why they will buzz you. And then they will buzz you into the school itself. The school obviously has multiple doors that can be used for emergency exits. In fact, whenever there is a school concert or sporting event, they will prop open the back door near the auditorium or gym and post a guard there. I'm sure this is easier in a small school like ours, but everyone acting like this is crazy has to be willfully lying. Um, Today, I think, is going to be real instructive because, as I note in my description, I want to hear from parents specifically. Um, I would request that um, – I know that you have thoughts, but I would request that if you're not a parent and you don't have a kid in school, I would request that you defer um, to people who are uh, because the point of this exercise is to tell these completely out-of-touch morons who are so busy – you know, getting their dunks in for clicks on Republican politicians, what it is like in a real world when you take your kid to school and what those schools are like. Um, which, again, is the whole point of this exercise of versus media, um, is to hopefully teach these people a thing or two. And, again, we saw this spread pretty rapidly among 
the journalist class, that the idea that they, they're willfully misrepresenting what a one entry point means, and they're doing it again on purpose, and they're doing it to simply just get a dunk in on Ted Cruz or Republican politicians who are suggesting a practice that is already being done. We also saw Chastain Buttigieg say that this is an insane idea. Well, it's already being done in schools all across the country. Um, they are wanting you to believe that it's they, it's only one door in the entire school. So it's a, a door you walk in, and then I guess if there's a fire, all the kids go out one door. Uh, they, of course, don't reply to tweets disproving this theory that, and where they're uh, purposely misrepresenting this. And the other thing you have to know is the reason they're doing this is to kind of keep the focus on what they really want, which is gun confiscation. Any solution to this problem that we have that doesn't involve gun confiscation has to be mocked and it has to be laughed at. Uh, I want to read a thread before I jump into this. So from Andy No, and for those of you who are in the media who don't like Andy No, you should probably stop giving him reasons to be right. This was a viral thread. This was spread uh, by Democrat politicians. It was spread by people like Keith Olbermann, um, I guess, between waiter shifts. It was spread by uh, people like Ellen Hopkins and comedians and actors, uh, as well as reporters uh, from the L.A. Times. And, of course, uh, Amy Siskind, uh, resistance hero du jour, uh, didn't waste any time on this as well. Uh, there was a viral thread from some random Twitter account who said that he was a cousin of one of the family members who was shot, and he was offered by Greg Abbott uh, money to appear, and he said he turned it down. Several reporters contacted him without even verifying who this person was, and I'm just going to read this thread from Andy. No, it says, this, this thread of man who claims Greg Abbott sent a representative to offer money to pose with the governor. This has gone ultra viral, especially on the left. I looked into who he really is behind the account. His name is Jason R. Newert, 43. He's not from Texas. He's from Spokane, Washington. He's claimed on Twitter to be a 9-11 responder, a Purple Heart recipient, and had another nephew that was killed. No one with this name has ever received a Purple Heart recipient. He's an anti-Trump activist who has boasted about shooting at cars with Trump flags. Many verified accounts have amplified the claims and made it go viral with no independent scrutiny. It conforms to their bias, so that's good enough to just be true. An editor at the Austin Chronicle was among them. Multiple Pulitzer-winning L.A. Times columnist Pat Morrison helped amplify these claims. CBS 46 News anchor, uh, what is this dude's name, Sean Gables, woman, sorry, ma'am, amplified the claim that Evaldi family member was offered cash to pose with the governor. As did Keith Olbermann, who constantly frequently falls for these kinds of hoaxes. USA Digital producer Brandon Gray also amplified this. Left-wing activist Amy Siskin, who shared many hoaxes, amplified the claim. An editor for Entertainment Weekly called the FBI to investigate Abbott. Other journalists also jumped on this story. Uh, the update to the story was these tweets disappeared. They were deleted. He, pre he protected his account, and none of the people who amplified this seemed to uh, apologize for doing so. Uh, on top of this, so what we're looking at is I guess we could have used that disinformation board, uh, except uh, Nina Jankowitz has been pretty quiet lately other than responding to tweets. 
So the reason why, of course, this happens is they have the agenda bias. And this, this ties into what I'm talking about with hardening, what they call hardening of schools. So resource officers, uh, one, one point of entry, several obviously fire exits as it, as it goes. And of course, this also reached Stephen Colbert and I think another late night uh, host. I'm not going to say comedian because late night TV is now just group therapy for the libs. Um, so, of course, they, they take this opportunity to dunk on this idea, misrepresent it. And the, the rate at which this spread stupidly through these people working in newsrooms with blue check marks uh, was something that I hadn't seen in a while, which is why we're going to tackle this today. So, again, uh, we'll go for just a l- probably a little bit over an hour. Um, if you have other thoughts on um, the reaction to this shooting, uh, what you think could be done, laws we can pass. I know uh, one of the things being discussed on the right, the political right, is red flag laws. Um, there seems to be a rush to jump behind those. Um, I am hesitant on these kinds of things where uh, what, where, where does the line stop with red flag laws? If you misgender someone, are they going to take your gun away online? And things of this nature. Um we know with the Buffalo shooter, he was institutionalized. He was hospitalized for observation for a day. That somehow didn't trigger a red flag law in New York. And what we found out with the police department is more times than not, it's incompetence at these levels is what leads to this. It's either incompetence for not reporting. It's incompetence for ignoring warning signs. As we saw with this police department, who should pretty much all be relieved of their positions. It's incompetence with not wanting to go in and do your fucking job. And so that's also something that um, I've been writing about with these situations. I did with the the previous shooter in Texas who had uh, warning signs. He was decommissioned from the military for spousal abuse, but that didn't because the military didn't share information with the federal background check. Then uh, he was missed when he tried to buy an assault rifle or I'm sorry, just a rifle, uh, an AR-15. So there's th- there is discussion at least about you know, things we can do to make this better. But of course, our media class is not interested in just about any discussion that doesn't involve confiscating weapons from uh, ordinary citizens who are uh, just practicing their constitutional rights. So like I said, I primarily want to hear from parents and what your school does, um, if anything, or a lack of security, uh, I'll even hear that out. Um, so like I said, if, if you don't have kids in the school system, I would prefer if you defer um, to people who do um, for this episode so we can get as many of those people in and hopefully um, help the cool kids table in D.C. and New York learn a thing or two about how schools work in this country. So uh, like I said, we'll go for about an hour, um, a little over. I'll, I'll uh, dip into my uh, avalanche game uh, to help you guys out. <laughs> So, and I do apologize. I was supposed to have a podcast today, but I had a guy with a table saw right under my, my, my spare office window going all day. And, uh, I was not going to be able to record even with the window shut. So I will have a podcast tomorrow where I'm sure we'll talk more about what we hear tonight. Uh, so like I said, I'm going to jump in. I want to hear mainly from parents with kids in school, um, and again, uh, I'll take other thoughts as well um, on this uh, on this horrific shooting and this complete 
failure at administrative level, starting with the Uvalde Police Department. Um, but also, it was apparent that doors were left unlocked, doors were propped open. Um, the resource officer was nowhere to be found. Uh, this, this is just, this was a catastrophic failure at every single level. Um, it, to the point to where it's hard to, it's, it's hard to fathom. And at least on that point, the political left and the political right are all coming together to recognize that. So I guess, uh, if firing all of those police officers, including probably the chief of police or the commissioner, uh, is a good place to unite the country, then I think that that's probably a good place to start. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in. I see some familiar faces. Uh, Stephen, uh, go ahead and give me some thoughts on what you saw this week. Hey, Stephen, not a parent here, so I'll make this really quick. Um, I'm from Western PA. Uh, I went to a pretty small high school. There was like maybe 60 kids in my graduating class. It was, uh, um, probably like 600 students total. Cause it was like sixth grade through 12th, but every school in my district that I went to from growing up as a kid, there's a main entrance, you know, you have to be buzzed in. Um, I'm pretty sure you had to tell them prior, like, uh, Hey, I won't be here Thursday morning. I got a dentist appointment. I'll be in at nine. So then, uh, there's like three entrances, uh, up until like seven fifty in the morning, then the doors all lock. Um, and then you have to buzz in after that. So that's just the one thing. Um, obviously multiple exits. How, and, how long uh, ago was the, I mean, not to, not to oh, date or age um, you, how, how long I, ago would you say this was? Was so this post Columbine? Yeah, I graduated high school in 2017, but okay. so like my whole time from elementary, like K through two, and then my middle school, uh, they all had that. Um, I guess that's pretty much all I have to say. Um, I was trying to think of something else, but I forgot it. So I'll hop out, but I just wanted to mention Yeah, that. no, that's fine. And I'll also take your personal experience. If you're younger and... Um, you know, uh, I have no problem hearing about that. Um, one thing I forgot, I, I neglected here, Sandy Hook happened in 2012. And that's where we really saw a shift in how the media covers mass shootings. And they did this because basically the guy in charge at the time, President Obama, gave them permission when he, he pretty much walked out without having any facts, pointed the finger right at the NRA and the political right and said, basically, this was your fault, and it's the gun lobby's fault, and it's this fault. And we know that that vote went down in Congress with a Senate Democratic majority, and then Obama came out a couple weeks later and yelled at the Senate uh, without yelling at his own party. Um, I do I wanna remember. Read, uh, yeah, I want to I read, uh, and Stephen, thank, thank you for that. Can, uh, I, can brief, I say one thing? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, go ahead. And uh, recently, my, one of my old neighbors, he, uh, he's an electrical engineer, um, he bought over actually where I went to elementary school, K through two. Um, and last year he was showing me what he did to all the doors. So he's not like always there. Um, sometimes he works out at a factory too. He can unlock any door from his phone, like through an app. So like there's technology advances that like, I'm not saying that every school should have that, but like, that would be a very easy way that you can open up your phone. Like, I'm not saying that everyone should do that, but and they can personally verify, like, you know, it's got coded colors. So, like, you can see what doors are open, what doors are closed. But there's also, like, there's ways to automate it where it can automatically lock at certain times, too. Right. I mean, that's – and that's uh, that's stuff that, to me, should all be looked at. Um, what we're also going to be seeing is the, the infrastructure of our schools and our school system and where money is going and where it's not going. Um I think it was, I, I was listening to bits of it and I think it was president boomer dad at the NRA meeting today 
called to basically take the COVID money for schools or leftover COVID money and, and put that into upgrading security for schools and stuff. And you know what? The goofy bastard uh, didn't have the worst idea. Um, Stephen, again, thank you. Here's, here's what I wanted to read. Uh, Sandy Hook happened in 2012, and someone had a good thread about the Sandy Hook report, which you can read online. It's the, it was the final government commission uh, to study the Sandy Hook mass shooting. And the recommendations that came of this from this commission, and I'm going to read a couple. Um, so I really hope there are some journos who were making fun of the one entry, uh, one point of entry concept. Uh, this is from the uh, SSIC Sandy Hook report. It says includes a standard requiring classroom and other safe haven areas to have doors that can be locked from the inside. The commission also reiterates its recommendation that all exterior doors in K-12 schools be equipped with hardware capable of implementing a full perimeter lockdown. That's something like Stephen has just mentioned. The commission recommends the development of realistic, manageable, and secure approach to key access and control to ensure that all teachers charged with well-being students can lock their assigned classroom doors, but also to address the overall need for maintaining strict building security requirements. Uh, a couple of these. Uh, recommendation number 11, the commission recommends that each school identify specific individuals to serve as safety and security wardens who shall be responsible for executing and managing the safety and security strategies. Recommendation number 12, in the design of schools, the commission recommends that classrooms and other spaces of denser population occupancy be located away from the points of building entry and that spaces of lesser occupancy be adjacent to school entry points without giving up human visual surveillance and situational awareness of the entry points. This is in direct contradiction of what Chastain Buttigieg had said, where he said mass shooters aren't going to sign the guest book. So, and that was kind of the point of this shooter who went in through an unlocked back door. Access control and uh, uh, access control school boundaries and property lines should be clearly de uh, demarcated to control access to a school facility and such clearly uh, delineate areas of public, semi-public, semi-private, and private space. Um, so this is right out of the Sandy Hook uh, Commission report saying any access point in the building should be towards the front or where you can have a clear line of vision to someone entering the building. And that's generally the front. That's not really going to be the side door um, or places out on the baseball field. Tim Miller of the Bulwark. Thank you again for that one. Um, and so right here in this commission report, you have these very recommendations set so a five minute forced entry solution should be the design standard, meaning anyone can, they should they should stress test any doors. Uh, the main entrance assembly shall be forced entry resistant to the project standard with forced entry time rating is, is informed by local law enforcement response timing. Main entrance doors shall be capable of being secured from a central location, such as the central administrative office and or the school security office, sort of like what Stephen was talking about as well. Uh, walls for entry resent to the project standard should be hardened in foyers and public entries. Interior and exterior vestibule doors should be offset from each other uh, in airlock configuration. This shooter spent 12 minutes uh, outside um, firing into the building before he realized that he could get into the building himself. Uh, I think Parkland lasted all of seven minutes. Um, as far as the gunfire exchange that happened. Uh, so to give you an idea of 
how long it must take to be outside for 12 minutes firing a gun with no law enforcement response or no resource officer response uh, is unacceptable. One of the excuses people in our media are, are suggesting is that uh, they'll just shoot out the windows. If they can't get in a door, they'll just shoot out the windows and jump in and jump through windows. Well, you can design buildings and you can update buildings where windows are higher up if you need to. Uh, as I said, this is mainly being used as an excuse to keep the eye on confiscation. And any solution or any proposal that doesn't involve that is going to be mocked by these people, and they should be generally laughed out of polite society. Uh, Ian, go ahead and give me some thoughts on you know what you saw this week, what we're talking about. If you have kids in school, what that's what that is like, uh, what their building is like when you pick up or drop off or, or such. Uh, like Stephen, I'm more I'm more on the younger end. I graduated within the last decade, so it would be more personal. Sure, but yeah. going both to what you said about Tim Miller and about making updates to schools, I think that my personal experience sort of lends itself to that fairly well because I went to a school that's a literal historical site. It was built in 1912 uh, by the same people that uh, built the state penitentiary. Uh, and so it is not exactly what you would consider to be like well designed to have automatic locks put in. And then in the 1960s, they created a gymnasium, which is where everyone did obviously gym and health classes. Uh, and it was a separate building. And so what they did previously back in the 90s or so was you would just walk between the doors and there wasn't really much issue. You just walk in and out of the buildings. Then when I was a sophomore in 2010, they decided that that wasn't secure enough. And so they decided to build what was referred to as the breezeway, which was essentially just a long hallway enclosed with thick like metal walls and a connected to one entrance in each, in each building and had an additional exit on either side that was locked at all times to anyone coming in from the exterior. And for the entrances, they literally took, they built out from the front doors an additional outcropping and installed new, like modern automatic doors that could be locked and you couldn't get in without uh, buzzing into the front office. And so I think that if a, uh, a county of 50,000 people in West Virginia can afford to install that on a historical site, that uh, whatever high school that Tim went to that had three baseball fields, eight tennis courts, and two soccer fields can probably afford to build a couple of hallways themselves. Or at the very least, just reinforce entrances and exits and hire a couple of resource officers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like at the very exactly. least is, is uh, what if you do. If you can afford to have four baseball fields on your campus, I think you can afford SEAL Team 6 and Blackwater to show up there. That's my general guess. But that was just my own personal experience that I thought might be uh, useful. I'll let some parents with kids currently in school join in now. Sure. Thanks. Thanks. Ian. And I appreciate that. I appreciate, you know, like I said, sharing. And, and if you don't have kids also, I mean, if you're on the younger side, tell me what it was like with your building. I, I'm myself on the older side. So my building, uh, my high school was pretty typical suburban high school. And as I said on the podcast, I grew up about 10 miles, 12 miles from Columbine high school. Columbine was a uh, rival of ours 
uh, in school to just give you an idea of how close to that situation I was. Um, so there weren't a ton of security measures at the time, or at least with my school, you could walk in and out of the building pretty much sight unseen. And I did many times. Um, and so we didn't really have those kinds of, uh, of measures, but I would assume post Columbine and post Sandy Hook, a lot of these newer buildings are probably implementing this stuff already. Joe, uh, give me an update on, uh, your, your formula. Have you turned to the black market to get baby formula? And then also your thoughts on, uh, school security doors, what you saw this week and the reaction to the Evolve shooting. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Stephen. So um, the update on the baby formula front, it is going very well. Um, we've utilized um, both my family and um, my wife's family, my in-laws, and we have stocked up like a, <laughs> it's enough to fill up a panic room, I feel like, uh, with the amount that we have collected. So we're good for at least a couple of months now. Um, so uh, coordinated effort all online. Um, on our part uh, was where we have had the most success and just uh, family members that have found some at stores that have just, um, you know, picked some up and brought back. So we are, uh, we're loaded for bear over here. So uh, thanks for asking about that. Um, I will uh, date myself here a little bit. Um, I graduated high school in 2009. And right as I graduated, our school um, was undergoing a major renovation project um, in my senior year, we I had a few classes in these modulars, these little trailer classrooms, um, which was which was really fun and not at all. <laughs> it, it felt it felt very uh, it felt very uh, primitive to a certain extent. Um, just having having classes in these in these trailers while our school was just being completely renovated, um, and they absolutely redid everything because when I was a senior. It was basically like you could come and go as you please. So again, this was 2009. So this was, was this is this was this a pu- was this a public high school? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this was so, uh, just this so was, just so we know where funds are coming from and if they're available. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a public school. Um, my high school was actually one of the um, one of the better ones in uh, in the state of Pennsylvania as far as um, like outcome and you know funding, etc. And they completely redid everything. Like I, you drive by it today; it is completely unrecognizable than when when I had gone there. And they just loaded up with all these additional features, as well as um, the um, the single point of entry. Because when I was there, it was just basically like, "Come on in." Um, it was a lot more lax. And it is it is my understanding that today the school is um, has, has beefed down a lot on that. And again, this was pre Sandy Hook. Um, when I had graduated, um, I'm not going to lie, uh, for when my daughter comes of age, I am strongly considering just saving up some extra money to maybe send her to a private school or a Catholic school, because it doesn't seem to be shootings that happen at these particular schools. And also just the whole thought of making an investment in her education that may also be an investment in her safety, um, is something that has crossed my mind. I'm not going to lie over the past couple of days. And just one final thought um, with the whole shooting. Um, I, I want to tie this back to COVID a little bit because COVID really did prove to be a double-edged sword um, for a couple of different areas. One, it saw the largest increase, I feel, in gun ownership in recent memory, um, as evidenced by what happened in the summer of 2020 with the rioting across the country. 
um, particularly among all demographic groups. You saw just a ginormous uptick in gun ownership. On the flip side, it was also probably the absolute worst thing that could have happened for um, students that are, to a certain extent, at risk. So the students with intellectual and developmental disabilities were not getting the support that they needed. And so their needs regressed probably irrevocably. Likewise, the students and the people, um, the, the younger kids um, that are also the ticking time bombs, like this kid was, and the Buffalo shooter, again, the worst possible thing that could have happened to them that then culminated in the tinderbox that happened over the past couple of weeks with the Buffalo shooting and now with this. Um, I the, wonder- uh, the, 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 the Buffalo shooter specifically cited in his, uh, his diatribe manifesto, his little diary, that because of the COVID shutdowns, he just was spending all of his time suddenly at home and on the computer, and that's where he found 4chan, and that's where he found underground sites, and that's kind of you know what introduced him to a uh, great replacement and, and such like that. Uh, this shooter, uh, they interviewed his father, who apparently was nowhere to be near his son, wherever his parents are, um, had stated that, you know, he, he noticed a, a change in his behavior with, with COVID lockdowns. And, uh, there was obviously people on the political left saying that there are lockdowns in Texas. Well, yeah, there were lockdowns with schools. Um, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, they didn't last a whole year, whatever, but uh, when this first hit, there were lockdowns everywhere. And then certain governors said, okay, well, we're looking at this and now we're going to reopen schools. People like DeSantis in Florida. Um, so the, the father said he noted a change in his behavior with, uh, with the COVID lockdowns. And, and I've noted that on Twitter. And, uh, this is something we're going to be dealing with long term. And we know that that age group, uh, suicides and attempted suicides skyrocketed in that age group, specifically teenagers. Um, and I, we just had a report in the New York Times talking about uh, cases of depression and long depression coming out now at teenagers. So, I mean, it is something that's going to have to be studied and looked at. And, and you know, it's something we're going to reckon with with society for a good next 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, like I said, I'm going to, um, you know, f- future parent of a kid who uh, will be in school in a couple of years. So I'm just going to end it right there and defer to all, all the parents who have a uh, lived experience right now. Appreciate it as always, Stephen. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Vanessa, uh, give me some thoughts, what you saw at the media this week. If um, what you've seen in schools, if you have uh, someone in school, what their building is like, what their security is like. Hey, Stephen, thanks for taking my call. Um, so a couple things I saw this week, uh, hypocrisy. And one of them's kind of in that COVID vein, like um, Joe was talking about was the people screeching at the top of their lungs for kids to wear masks in schools are the same people that are willfully obtuse about locking doors and having limited points of entry. It was just blowing my mind to see that on Twitter. Um, another thing was people calling for the same types of gun control measures they typically call for anytime something like this happens, um, but specifically universal background checks, which would not have stopped this school shooting. But there was a story about a off-duty, um, I think he was Border Patrol. I don't remember if he was Border Patrol or local police, but he was getting a haircut. And I guess his wife uh, worked at the school and his daughter went to the school and he received a text message 
while he was getting a haircut and he borrowed his barber's shotgun and literally ran into the school. Somehow he got in uh, while the cops couldn't, (laughs) but um, ran into the school with the gun armed for protection and found his kid, found his wife, let a bunch of other kids out. Um, Universal background checks would have prohibited him from borrowing that shotgun to do what he did to save those kids. Um, I don't have any kids in school. I don't have any kids of my own. My sister, though, is a teacher. She's been a teacher for about 11 years. And I did talk to her a little bit about this. And she said that their school is typically, um, like other schools that people have mentioned, there is a single point of entry, the front door. Um, When I have dropped my niece off at school, they do have to buzz you in. You can't just open the door and walk in and talk to the secretary. Um, there are obviously other doors, uh, (laughs) unlike people are saying on Twitter, there are other doors of the school. They lock from the inside. So if you were to go out the door, out to recess, the door would lock behind you and you would need a key fob or like a key card to get in. Um, so it's secured that way. And she did say that they do have, um, active shooter drills that they do, but she said, um, the last school that she worked at she did not like the way that the drills were conducted because apparently part of the drill was using walkie talkies to communicate. If you saw a shooter in the hallway, that way other areas of the school would know that it's safe for them to evacuate their classroom and other areas next to where the shooter was seen could stay and shelter in place. Um, but she said that only a few people actually had walkie talkies. So the entire drill was dependent upon that. But also um, the secretary, you know, getting on the PA and saying like a code phrase like, oh, Mr. Whatever is in the building. And then people would know that that means, okay, lock the door and hide. And I asked her, I said, well, what happens if, God forbid, the secretary is incapacitated? How would that message go out? And she said it wouldn't. We wouldn't have a way to know. We would have to use the phone system somehow. But they did not want to incorporate the phone system into the drill. Um, so she doesn't work at that school anymore. The school that she works at now, she said after this shooting this week, they are going to have a meeting over the summer and they are going to reevaluate how they conduct their drills and safety measures for something like this. Um, and then one thing that she said to me that kind of stuck in my brain was she said, um, the shooter in Texas is about 18 years old. He was the same age as the kids he killed when Sandy Hook happened. So now you're seeing all these kids that have gone through these drills. And I know there were some drills after Columbine in 99, but Sandy Hook, I feel like, was when this was a thing, like a standard practice for schools to do. So now you're seeing all these kids that were maybe in elementary school in, uh, when Sandy Hook happened, and now they're of the age of some of these horrible people that conduct these shootings. And it's just, I don't know, it just blows my mind. I don't really know how to respond to it or how to react to it just, it's just something weird to think about. Are you, are you suggesting like, because they've gone through shooter active shooter drills that they know how to respond. If they, if they themselves become a shooter that they know how to then effectively counter those or respond to those. Um, it's interesting that the act, 
the active shooter drills seem to be falling out of favor on, on the political left as well. Chris Hayes on MSNBC said to stop doing this. This is terrifying the kids. Well, that's that's on purpose. That There's a reason why they started doing active shooter drills, and it has nothing to do with countering an active shooter. It has to do with getting an entire generation of kids terrified of guns, so you're grooming future voters. That's, that's what they do with the climate. Um, I don't know how many of you experience this, but I've experienced this both in New York City and then places where I've lived since – that if you go by like an elementary school, there's always like a fucking mural about climate change across the street. Um, there's a school right now uh, where the outer wall is painted in um, the Cesar Chavez, uh, as well as Black Lives Matter and, and all of this stuff. And that's specifically done to just indoctrinate them softly into what, you know, what their belief is of on, the, on the climate, that we're all going to fucking die over over a snowstorm. Um and so that is primarily the reason they started doing active shooter drills. Uh, it, it is. It's simply to just scare the shit out of the kids and, and scare the kids from, from guns. or you know. And you're starting to see those fall out of favor with the left because there's data out that suggests they don't actually do anything other than just that. And once that, that gets out and they continue to do this, that's kind of the game is up with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know that she necessarily implied that them going through it as a kid – you know, it's something that they retained in their memory 10 years later and they know how to, you know, get around it. I think it's just something that it's become more commonplace. So it's it's in their head maybe that this is a risk or a perceived risk. I know if you statistically looked at it, school shootings are not as popular, not popular, not as frequent as the media would have you believe. I know there've been articles out that say there's been, you know, whatever, like a hundred school shootings this year. And we know they're all bunk because they, I think you talked about it on your podcast. Um, You know, someone is having a basketball game two blocks away from a school zone and someone gets shot and they count it as a school shooting. But um, just, just mainly that kids that have gone through it, it's just become a thing now. Like if you're of a certain age, you either know about a school shooting, you remember when it happened, or you're old enough to have gone through elementary, middle, high school and done an active shooter drill yourself. Um, yeah. And like I said, they, it, it, it feels like at least, and, and I've read also on the political left that they're, those are starting to fall out of favor. Even, um, it was interesting to see someone like Chris Hayes come out and say, just stop doing these. Uh, they don't really do much. And that's something I'd, I'd be interested in talking to teachers if they've done it or if they've gone through it and what the reaction is, uh, as well, like talking to more teachers about that. So, mm-hmm. yep. All right. Well, I'll let you go. I'm, actually not in St. Louis. I'm on vacation, so I have to find a bar for the hockey game. <laughs> yeah, good good, but, uh, good luck. I, You know, I warned you it was going to be a lot of pain, so you guys got lucky a couple a couple nights ago, so I'm, I'm still not too worried about my boys. Oh, I know. I thought I'd give you grief, but I know you would just say, well, it doesn't matter. You're just delaying the inevitable, so. Yeah, you're just, in, <laughs> that, that would be correct. So, yep. go, go Avalanche. Thanks, Vanessa. Go Blues. Zach, uh, let me know if you're a parent, if you have kids in school, which, what, what their building does uh, for security as far as entry points, resource officers, or lack thereof, um, as well as any other reaction that you have uh, to what you saw this week. I actually, I'm in a weird position because I, I do a lot of stuff at the school for my niece and nephew to help my mom out. So I'll go get them to have doctor's appointments or whatnot. 
and they actually go to the same high school that I went to. And so I've been able to see a change in my school because when I went there, and if you're going to say you're dating yourself, don't say you graduated in 2009. I graduated in 2002. Um, the school has basically done, since I was there, what was advised and that they built the front out. And now you walk through a set of doors and the only place you can go would be to the office. But to get to the office, you have to sign in and then buzz in for them to open the office door to let you in. And this is and a public This is a public school? It's a public school in rural Arkansas. And they, they adopted these procedures. So it, it obviously isn't is an issue of money in most places um, because when I went there about 7.30, the janitor went around and just unlocked all the outside doors and you came in whichever door you needed to that day. And as long as you were in your first period class, you were there and they didn't, they didn't care. But now it's, um, getting in the building is, is a lot harder as it should be. But the, the fact that so many people are acting like this is a foreign idea, it's, I don't want to say it's mind blowing, but you'd almost have to be stupid to think that. Or dishonest. I don't want to give them that much credit. I think they're just stupid. Um, to, to think that it's not feasible when when we've heard from somebody in West Virginia, I'm um, in rural Arkansas, someone in rural Pennsylvania, have all said that their public schools could do it. So it, it's absolutely durable and feasible. But again, you, you know the you know the score. It's about it's about scoring points and pushing their issue. Um, and so when you so you so you said when you pick up your niece and nephew, uh, what is that? What is that like when you pick them? up? So when you drop them off, they they are dropped off and they go through the front door, right? Right. And then when you if, pick them when you pick them up, do they do, do they exit through a side door or are they do do does the school basically make you wait out front and then they come out the front or can you pick them up like off to the side somewhere? Um. Typically, if I'm picking one up, like right after school, uh, you go through a line in the front of the school, and that's where they exit. Um, if you're going to check one out, you have to go in, you have to sign in while you're there, the student you're picking up, your name, you have to buzz into the office, then tell them why you're there. Then they call the student to come to the office and you leave out the door that you were buzzed into. And so even as a visitor, they don't typically give you access to the school itself unless um, you're approved and you're there to see maybe a specific teacher or something. Yeah, that's what I was that's what I was curious about, if if you could. Because obviously, I mean, it sounds like whenever you drop off a student, this sounds like for everybody, you they go through the front door. 
but I was curious about like, if, you know, if you could pick them, if, if when they leave, they're, they're allowed to go out one of the exits and a thing that doesn't sound like they're even allowed to do that. So, um, that, that's something I was just curious about. So, uh, thanks for that, Zach. Do you have any other just closing thoughts on this? Um, I was going to tell you to go ahead and, uh, and beat Elden Ring and marry the Snow Witch like the rest of us. <laughs> uh, I think I'm down to two bosses and, uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm leveled high enough, uh, to, to take on Melania yet. So, uh, I'm, I'm kind of going around doing some other cleanups. So, uh, I, I appreciate that, Zach. Um, uh, and thanks for that. Thanks for, um, thanks for again, your thoughts on, uh, your niece and nephew, uh, Scott, same as kind of the theme in the room. Uh, if you have kids in school, public school or wherever, uh, what is that experience like dropping them off, picking them up? What is the school's policies as far as that's concerned? And, uh, or any other thoughts that you saw this week, uh, on the shooting? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm barely picking you up. Do you have either a speaker or? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not getting any audio from you, Scott. Hello. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you moving your phone around. I can barely, I can barely hear you. But you are there. Can you hear me? Can you try? Nope. There, we got you a little bit. Can you try speakerphone or turn your volume up? I'm I got the Scott. Scott, are you on a are you on a landline? I'm, yeah, I'm joking. No, I'm, I'm on a. I'm on a. Oh, okay. There, yeah, you're a little bit louder. So go ahead. Okay. Cool. So I'm a I'm a teacher. That's um, that's very helpful I, as well. So thank you. So um, I work at a uh, private school, but it's not a very big one. It's like an evangelical type Christian school in DFW. And so the single entry is the way that everything works. It's not the only door, obviously. So like, you know, I don't go in the front door when I get there in the morning, but I have a, like a key card that lets me in. Um, and that's what I use uh, to go through the, the other entrance to the school. Um, but there are another three or four doors out of the school, like emergency exits that would be used in case of some kind of. So, 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 okay. So, okay, also so explain, explain how the key card works. So is it a door with a handle or is it just a door with the key card? You slide it and then the door beeps and you open it or how, what, what does specifically, so what does the door do? Just yeah, so, just so people know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a little pad next to the door, and you just hold the key uh, card in front of it, and it scans it, and then the door unlocks. But the the door can't be it, it has a handle on it, but I mean just like a pull handle. And if the door isn't, if the the press bar from the inside isn't depressed, you can't uh, enter from the outside. And so when you run it, it electronically depresses the the, the bar so that you can open the door. Um, and it works the same way at the main entrance. Um, it's just that, you know, in the morning when people are dropping kids off, we have uh, kind of like what the last guy described, a, a line where people are driving up along the side and dropping them off. And then there's a bunch of staff out front kind of directing things and helping people unload backpacks and stuff like that um, and taking them inside immediately. Um, 
at the end of the day, the opposite happens. We have the um, we have somebody standing down at the end of the line, and the parents all have little name tags that they hang on their um, rearview mirrors, and uh, then they they just radio in like this family is at this number parking spot, um, and the kids come out and they go to that spot and they get in the car and they're they're gone. And and it, at all times there are staff from the school that are, for example, not teaching a class at that point. They they break it down at the beginning of the year so that we know exactly who's got what response responsibility during car line. Um, and so that, that's the way things work. Basically we have, um, you know, we, we do have active shooter drills, um, during the year. Um, we, I think we had one every quarter. Um, so they were, you know, frequent enough that you knew what to do and you were fresh on the procedures at any given time. So, and what do those involve? involve? Uh, basically, so um, the the one thing that um, we're kind of intermediate on at the moment in terms of building our, our campus is we do have uh, like some trailer type uh, buildings off to one side. And so if you're out there, you will uh, and this is this is what I know, because that's where I teach um, you turn off all the lights, you lock the door, you um, make sure the windows can't be seen through and the kids are put in a corner of the room where they would be most uh, safe basically from any kind of uh, outside attack. Um, so you know, that depends on the room you're in, um, but you do it so that you can um, avoid uh, any kind of fire. And then, then the, the security personnel, we do have a resource officer who's always there present on campus. Um, and there are security cameras all over the place that he's, that's what he's doing all day. He's sitting is, at the security. Is he, is, he, is, is, he, is he armed? Yeah, always, always. Interesting. Um, so, um, so he goes around and, and a couple other people, they go around and like check that all the doors are locked. Um, and, and like really like, you know, bang on them, trying to get them to open to make sure that we got them secured properly. Uh, things like that. That's basically that, that's my experience of the, the shooter drills. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, great. That's, great. Uh, that's good. That's good information. And, you know, I should, I should have excluded wanting to hear from teachers as well. <laughs> um, so, but that's, and that's a, like a ton of good information. So, so as far, and, the, and you're, and you teach, you said at a, at a private school. So this seems to be something that's pretty uniformly across public and private school, uh, which is the single point of entry. And, and I went to a pretty small uh, private school when I was growing up. So not, not a lot of money. Um, but um, I remember, after Columbine, um, that there were changes to the way people were released from school and the doors were all locked all the time. And there was only one place where you could enter the school after that. And this is, you know, like the late nineties, early aughts. Um, so that, uh, this was a school with like 70 kids total, uh, K through 10, I think. Uh, so, you know, like we, um, we were doing this 20 years ago. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, I mean, that's what I noticed when it changed also was obviously because of how just brutal Columbine was and, and how publicized it was. And I mean, we saw, you know, kids trying to climb out windows and and we also know how they entered the school and how they went through the cafeteria and stuff like that. And so um, I, I haven't had a ton of experience of going back to visit schools. I've been to a couple and they're all to me. They're all the ones that I visited are all single point entry. Um, so I always thought that this was kind of a standard practice until, you know, the Washington Post Cool Kid Journal Club decides to start ridiculing the idea. And you just kind of start going, wait, what? This is something that's already being done here, um, which is why I said, you know, they're obviously being willfully dishonest about this. So, um, Scott, do you have just any other kind of closing thoughts about what you saw this week? 
I was just going to say that also um, when I was um, studying in grad school, I did side work kind of counting uh, car patterns, uh, counting traffic. And sometimes I would be there to like count around a school. And this practice of like having a car line where, um, you know, you've got dozens and dozens and dozens of people going through and it's like a well-oiled machine. This is standard practice. I've seen it in dozens of places, um, personally, you know, where I've watched it happen over the course of about, you know, 45 minutes where they get a whole school in, um, or out in that period of time. So like, I, I just, I'm, I'm a little befuddled as to, I mean, like, I, I think you're right that it's probably just dishonesty and or stupidity because the, the idea that this is not something super common that everybody would think is a good idea or that like, I, I'd be shocked that there are that many places that don't work this way. Uh, cause that's my experience. So. Uh, yeah, no, that's, I mean, we heard from the school in Texas, obviously. I mean, it, it sounded to me like the school in Texas is, they just weren't expecting this. Like, the, you know, this isn't going to happen at our school. I mean, like I said, you had a teacher prop and open the door and um, I would never no, no resource officer was on site. And, you know, it just, it sounded to me like the, everything was just laissez-faire. It was just lazy all around thinking this is never going to happen here. Um and that's, I mean, it's just where it's the, it's the culture. It's the time that we live in where it's, it could happen anywhere. And so that's again, what it's, at least it's to me, it sounded like what happened at the school in Texas. Yeah. Great. Uh, Scott, thanks for, thanks for that. And thanks for your thoughts and, and that information that's, that's helpful and it's informative to people who uh, are just listening or it's also helpful to parents. So uh, I do, I appreciate you joining in. Um. Paul, I'm trying to get Paul up here. Uh, Paul, same same question, same th- same theme. Uh, if you have kids in, that you drop off at public or private school, what that process is like? Is it single point entry? And like I said, any thoughts that you have on what you saw this week? Um, well, first of all, I am currently a student. Uh, I am a medical student, and at my school, you simply cannot get into the building anywhere without an ID. So if you show up for your test four minutes beforehand and you don't have your ID card to scan yourself in, you better hope one of your buddies is uh, coming as late as you are to get in to sit for your test. Um, and that's, does that, even if it's not testing, is it just to, 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 to oh, attend any class time of day, seminar? It's like you go straight through one entrance at the front or wherever. Yeah. So there are multiple places that you can scan yourself in, but there's not a single place that you can get in without your ID. Um, and then once, and that's throughout the entire day, the doors are never not locked. Like there's no, you know, seven o'clock we open things up and people can come in for, you know, and the doors are unlocked for 30 minutes. No, they are locked all the time, always, no matter what time of day, weekends, nights, there are even parts of the building where you can't get into with our, your idea when you're already in the building. Um, So that's my school. That's one example. But I've also been around a lot of hospitals doing rotations and such. And, you know, hospitals are not exactly like schools, but they're analogous in a way. Um, They're quote unquote gun free zones. Um, But almost every single hospital that I've rotated at or been to, um, if it's a medium or large size hospital, it has um, usually not only, well, even the small ones come to think of it. I mean, every single hospital has its own security staff and 
much of the time they're armed. In certain places, I guess probably at some of the larger hospitals I've been to, there's a part of the local police department that they either are there on campus all the time, like those police officers are present in the hospital or they're parked in the parking lot or at the entrance, or, you know, at some of the bigger places, like there's a host of officers whose job that day, I guess, is to just go over to the hospital and hang out there for something that goes, you know, for anything that's going on. You know, obviously you get people in there who can be kind of unruly and really difficult, especially in the emergency rooms. But um, those are places where we have armed people all the time, always. And I'm very thankful for that. And I just really don't understand the, you know, Steve Kerr method of uh, insisting that we can't have any police or armed security in these facilities, whether yeah, they be schools. Not, yeah, not only insisting, but campaigning actively against it. Um, yeah, which, I think it's ridiculous. Did. And he doesn't, of course, get questioned by this every time China allows him to open his mouth on hot button political issues. Uh, someone else brought this point up about like every building where it is, where you can't just walk in a side door or uh, it is a single point entry. People brought up courthouses. People brought up hospitals like you did, uh, administrative places like this. Um, I had mentioned in New York City, if you go to the Fox News building, the News Corp building, um, you, you walk by cops with dogs, you walk up to a desk to sign in. Uh, once you're clear, they give you a badge. You then have to swipe the badge that they give you, uh, in a turnstile and the elevators don't have buttons. And like I said, I, I joke that if there was a massive terror attack in New York city, I'm not going to the police. I'm going to the news corp building cause it's a fortress. Um, and so again, I mean, it's not totally, um, unirrelevant that all of these places do this. And yet you have a media class making fun of the idea that schools could do it. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, some of these rotations I go on, I almost always have to have an ID and a badge similarly um, in order to get around the hospital. There was, you know, one rotation room where they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Just, you know, meet me in the lobby and, you know, we'll go back together. And, um, you know, I got locked in a stairwell on that rotation, you know, because, I didn't have an I, I didn't have a badge from the security office. I don't know why they told me I didn't need one. And it seemed like I sure did. But yeah, I mean, even in a hospital, you can't hardly get through almost any of a hospital without having an ID on you. Yeah, I mean, and that's again, that's again, that's also I mean, that's a good point that you know, all of these administrative buildings do this. And but the notion that we can do it for schools is just beyond the pale. They, they, they somehow believe that, you know, going to a universal one entry point system is undoable and unbelievable because of how kids are going to leave. Uh, but they think that they can confiscate, you know, 200 million guns in this country. So, Paul, just any closing thoughts on what you saw this week or experience? Uh, nope, that's all I got for you. I appreciate Great. it. Thanks for your info. And uh, school that's still an important point uh david same thing to the room if you're a parent what's uh what's the process like for your kid's school is it one point entry is it uh like people are talking a lot about car lines which i think is interesting um and that's something other this teacher that i know was talking about as well that's how kids get picked up from school is they just pull up and then they leave and they pull up and they leave and they go so again uh david if you don't have kids any thoughts on what you saw this week 
Um, so me and my wife work at two diff or worked at two different schools that were within 10 miles of, uh, Parkland. Um, so going through that, when it happened was very, very stressful, obviously. And, um, I remember that day we were both very worried and I had, I, you know, I, my wife is a teacher. I was a maintenance worker slash football coach, kind of like the guy who did a lot around the school and everything like that. And my wife's school, they're both two private Christian schools in the area. And what happened after that, um, there was just the two schools, parents, everything like that, just kind of bonded together. Let's kind of see what we could do, feed off of each other, like the private Christian schools in that area, um, and to increase uh, security. So my wife's school uh, hired a lot of police officers. They hired, well, former police officers. They pay them pretty well, um, comparable to whatever police department in the area is. And they... <laughs> So her school was a much larger school than ours, uh, moved to a single entry, and I'm talking like uh, police car, police uh, police officer at every other door, that every other entrance into the campus. Um, and then there was single entry at all times, not just during car line. Uh, and by the time that you got to the front office, uh, you had a police officer take you from the from the entry to the school to wherever you wanted to go, and I know that her school had a lot of issues in the past where this actually like uh, this actually deterred people. Uh, I think they even arrested somebody who tried to come home with a gun, and it wasn't that long after after Parkland. Uh, my school also had the same issue. And after that, <laughs> uh, that school being run by mostly conservative people and in that area, um, they let me carry a carry a handgun uh, while I would be working, and you know I keep it away or I, I assume your have it on. I, I assume you're licensed and trained on that. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm, okay. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> Just, yeah, I'm so. fiction of handing you a gun. You go, here you go. Yeah. Oh, cool. Thanks. So yeah, I'm no. Just, I'm assuming so I have you're, my own... you're licensed for that. <laughs> yeah, so I have my concealed, and you know, I've had and everything like that, and uh, I've known people, and so they would kind of let me have it. I wouldn't walk. I wouldn't brandish it. Uh, people didn't know that I had it, and uh, you know, some of the school people knew I, I had it. But I never really flashed it or anything like that. But um, here's the thing that I've been seeing a lot from the left, that a lot of people on the left are saying, how could these schools like have this presence with all these officers and everything like that? The kids like it, and the parents love it, more, more importantly. Um, they want their kids to be safe uh, at the end. And after all that, this is what parents were calling for, for police officers around the campus and people um responsible people to be ready for something like this and it did deter a lot of it did deter a lot of uh conflicts in that area um 
Yeah, I, w- I wonder. I wonder about what we've seen in the last two years with the media attitude driven towards policing, police officers in general, and obviously the defund the police mo- movement. Um, what that has done, because I mean, you mentioned this, and I've had other people mention this, that kids like the resource officers there. You know, they talk to them; they're part of the staff, they're part of the building that they see every day, and the officers talk to them and. Um, yeah. And you get this attitude in media that, like you said, people like Steve Kerr, it's like, no, we don't need cops in buildings because they're going to frighten kids when they're guns and their cars or whatever. And I've talked to people who say the resource officer is not even always in a uniform. He's in plain clothes um, or he has an identif- you know, he has an identifying mark or a shirt or a polo and slacks or something um, that says he's, a, you know, it'll have a badge on it. Uh, so he's not even in, in a police uniform. And so I wonder what, again, what the prevailing attitude in our media over the last two years, which is, you know, all cops are bastards with, you know, in line with Antifa, what that does with their attitudes and how out of step that that is. Because you say that parents love them there. They, they love the idea of having, knowing that there's somebody there should something like this happen. There's somebody there at least who, who can and should, at the very least, should respond uh, should that go down? And that's another, again, this goes along with the stupid thing with the doors that they're all snarking on is, you know, they think that uh, parents all think like they do with police officers. And they think that every cop is, you know, Derek Chauvin with his knee on George Floyd's neck or something. And so that's, an, I mean, that's another whole interesting aspect to this, that you have yeah. a, you know, a political left media who doesn't like police officers. And you know what? I'm kind of a conservative libertarian. I'm not the biggest fan of cops myself, if I'm being honest. Um, but they have, you know, they, they've been on a two to three year campaign to just demonize police officers. Um, and so that attitude that they have towards resource officers in schools is, nope, we don't want them near because they're going to they're going to, you know, sh- shoot a black child on accident or on purpose or something. And we've seen cases of that with resource officers, you know, bad apples, putting kids in handcuffs and stuff like that. Um, so, again, that's that's another narrative that just doesn't seem to be in step from our national media with reality like you're talking about. Yeah, and um, let me see. Yeah, the parents love the the kids too. That they're uh, some of the resource officers on campus there at both schools. Their kids go there. Uh, they they really want to have an environment that is very safe and very, you know, very uh, nice for some kids. And then uh, some of those kids uh, as well, they're able to uh, do some do some ride-alongs or whatever. Um, after school with some of the with some of the police officers they're able to like i know for example 2 years ago there was a kid who went to the police academy and he got into the police academy because he knew one of the officers and he was very friendly and he has a career um after that and you know it's just it just goes to show you some of these some of these media people they're just very out of touch and yeah um is is David? Is your wife still a teacher? Uh, no, we recently moved, but we're gonna probably move back to Florida. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and everyone else. Yeah. Oh, we've yeah. been to the stage. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm from Great. Florida. Um, you know, all my sports teams, even the Panthers, have uh, been sad about that Ouch, all week. RIP. Um, they're all. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we're. I'm doing. Uh, not to get too big into my life, but I'm doing school here in Michigan for a year. My wife is from Michigan, and within three months, we were like, we got to move back. So, 
Uh, so yeah, yeah. That's, you're, that's probably not too uncommon thing. So, uh, David, yeah. thanks, thanks for that information. And thanks for, um, you know, just again, you know, people who are on the inside of the stuff and, you know, who are even working in schools and not even just necessarily parents. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm going to go cry about the Panthers a little bit more. This yeah. Weekend. Yeah. You <laughs> should cry all off season. Thanks, David. Yep. Uh, Raphael, um, again, and I'm going to try to get through these last nine. Um, we'll go a little bit later, so um, we'll do that and uh, just try to get through just because I want to hear from as many people as possible on this. But, Raphael, same thing if you've been listening. Uh, are you, if you're a parent, what's, what's, your, what's your kid's school like? Is it a single-point entry? What's the security like or lack thereof or, or any other information, fun information you, you might have? Uh, sure. Uh, so I'm in, I'm in Long Beach. I've got two daughters who are in a K-8 school. And it's a single point entry. So in order to get into the school office, you have to buzz in and there's a camera and you have to show them your ID. What, so uh, a lot of people are talking about buzzing in. And I know that this and I get that the concept of it's not whatever. But specifically, uh, is it like a glass door and you just go up and you hit the buzzer and they look at you or, or no, speaker no, system? No. So it's a speaker system. So there's the two main doors to get into the main office and off to the side it looks like almost like a little speaker box with a camera, um, like 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 a super expensive version of a ring doorbell. You 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 buzz it, and there's a camera, and you show your ID. And if they recognize you, the school office people will buzz you in. Like for example, I'm the PTA president at the school, so they recognize me, right? So like they'll just buzz me right in. But otherwise, if they don't recognize you, or if you're if they can't look you up as a parent right away, they'll ask you know what your business is before they even buzz you in. Um, and then the rest of the school is uh, sort of closed off where, it, it, you know, you could only open the doors from the inside, uh, from the inside. So, you, you know, in order, like to literally in order to get onto campus, you'd have to, you'd have to scale like a 15 foot fence to get onto the campus. Um, and then in terms of school resource officers, it's interesting in Long Beach, they don't really use them at elementary or middle schools, but they use them at the, at the high schools. So for example, to give you a frame of reference, you know, I graduated from high school in 1995 I went to a place called Long Beach Poly. It's the same high school where Snoop Dogg went. He, he predated me by about three years. So you can imagine there's a lot of gang activity at that school. So they've got, you know, they've got, they've got armed folks um, at, at the school because, just because of the gang activity. I mean, to give you an example, one day I was, um, I was walking, out of, um, walking off campus to go to my car because um, I was doing an extracurricular thing and I was going to come back on. And I see two school resource officers with their guns out and they had three gang members like sprayed over, over the, the parking lot. Um, cause they were up to something. Um, so I mean, that's the kind of stuff, um, that you see. And then interestingly enough, I think you'd mentioned with the previous caller, uh, you know, potential problems with school resource officers, um, at a high school that's actually closer to my house, uh, Milliken high school that happened. There was a, uh, there was a, an altercation between, uh, a bunch of high school students and, and, and the, I guess the folks who had started the altercation um, drove off campus and one of the school resource officers confronted them in a parking lot because there's like a little convenience center across the street from the school. And then the, whoever was driving you know, tried to speed off and the school resource officer, sh officer shot into the car and killed the passenger, which is, I mean, against all kinds of protocols, right? You're not supposed to shoot into a car if they're fleeing, right? Um, so, you know, so we've kind of have a mixed bag on that stuff. Yeah, I find this interesting. And we know, you know, going back to 90s with, like you said, just 
gang proms in urban centers and stuff like that, they put metal detectors into schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, they had arm, they've had armed resource officers for years, but it feels like because that, that debate happened in schools that are mainly like inner city that we're not going to talk about that. But when we start talking about this with, you know, predominantly suburban or uh, white schools, suddenly we have a problem with security measures. Um, and that's, again, that's something you see in our media where, you know, we're, we have to talk about horrific mass shootings, but we absolutely cannot talk about the murder rates in Baltimore and Chicago and Oakland and other places. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to add is my wife's a principal for Los, Los Angeles Unified School District. I mean, they have an entire police department, right? In New York, the New York school district does too. So, I mean, it's a separate police force apart from LAPD. I mean, and, and they're just a school police force and they're armed and they're, and they're patrolling all over the place, right? On or near campuses and LA Unified. So, if, so if she's a principal. Um, did they do they implement the like the the one entry policy or is this something that's discussed on the school board and then it's you know they yeah. implement and they figure out okay it's going to cost us seven hundred thousand dollars to implement these with the doors let's just do it so if she's a principal she's at the top so this this one entry thing is as we're hearing and this is the whole point of why we're doing this seems to be pretty universal it seems pretty common um but if she's again, if she's a principal, she's one of the people who is right yeah. in there as these decisions are being made. So what what is her experience that you know of with oh. doing that or implementing this stuff? Well, at her um, at the school that she's at, she teaches at a school in East LA, which for folks who may not know, it's a predominantly you know Mexican American uh, community. Um, her you know her school is a, it's the same thing as one entry point. You have to buzz in. You can't get in. Um, unless someone buzzes you in and recognizes you, and there's there's no other way to get on a campus unless you're willing to scale a fence. And I know my understanding is it's not necessarily unif- um, uniform in, in the Los Angeles Unified School District because I mean there are there are schools that are in more I guess better neighborhoods for lack of a better way to say it where maybe there's less concern about security, and so they may not have gone that far. But it's it's really up to each um, each school and if it's in their budget to do it. Because for example, at, at my girls' school. They always had locked office doors, but they didn't put in the camera and the buzz thing until about a year and a half ago. Um, and that was, you know, and so it was sort of a, it's, it's a local decision. So I, my understanding is like, at least for Long Beach Unified and LA Unified, it's not mandated by the school board. Each, each school gets to decide for itself, uh, whether, um, each school side gets to decide how it wants to handle that, um, with its budget. But it sounds uh, like a lot of them are doing it. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, not, of course. Not and, being forced to do it. It sounds like they're just going, Oh this, yeah. this seems like a good sensible idea. Let's just do that. Yeah. And I, and you know, and ironically enough, I mean, I think you touched on this. The, the big reason why is, you know, put aside the mass shootings for a second is that, you know, urban school districts, LA Unified, Long Beach Unified, you've got gang activity or you've got, you know, parents who, you know, who may be gang affiliated. And that's really what's kind of drove that, right? It wasn't necessarily the fear of mass shooting. It's that, you know, you don't want drive-bys, you know, um, near your campus, or you don't want, you know, you know, someone, you know, you know, uh, you know, someone who's violent to get on a campus, right? That kind of thing, and that's really what um, sort of motivated it. So it wasn't really a concern about uh, about mass shooting because most most schools have been closed campuses, you know, for you know for you know pre-Columbine. Like my high school, Long Beach Poly, was a closed campus in the mid '90s, way before Columbine happened. Uh, but that was because of the gang activity. I mean, because at Long Beach Poly, I mean, you can, you know, basically every gang in, in Long Beach has some presence on the campus. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, but remember, we're not supposed to talk about that. That's <laughs> we're we're wading dangerously into racism now. Yeah. So. Well, hey, I mean, you know, it is you know because you know Long Beach Poly is such a diverse place. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess you know the one thing is, that, I mean, the, the only gangs that weren't there were maybe the Caucasian ones, but you know, we had there because there's a huge Cambodian, a huge Vietnamese community, so we had the, those gangs. We had a Samoan gang, we had like multiple African American gangs, we had a Hispanic gang, so it, it ran the gamut of the school. It was very diverse. I bet the clubs were the clubs were great. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the irony about my, about that high school is, in, in an effort to desegregate it, they put what is still is the best academic program in the district at that school in order to um, in order to help desegregate the school. So my friends used to joke me joke with me because I'm Hispanic and I was I was sort of screwing up the program because I was a Hispanic who was getting bussed in from sort of a better part of the city to go into that magnet program. And that's really was not the plan. <laughs> so, um, and it's still there. So, you know, you've got all this kind of, you know, what we, you call urban issues, but you've got, you know, you know, the best academic program in the, in the district for high school. It's still there. Huh. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I, that, that's, it's a lot of great, uh, you know, information that, that you've given. So do you have any thoughts about what you saw this week, either media reaction or on the shooting itself? Um, I, I just, you know, I think on the, the media reaction and I, maybe this is just, you know, uh, you know, maybe sort of try it on my part. I mean, I just wish that there we could be like calmer conversations, right. Um, you know, because, you know, like, you know, because no one is actually, you know, talking about, you know, what's, what seems to be missing from all of it is, okay, all these things that we want to pass, would that have stopped what happened this week? Right. And I think the reason why they're not talking about it is because the things they're talking about, um, wouldn't have stopped what happened. Right. Like this. Yeah, I mean, kid, yeah, that's, I mean, that's always that's kind of the common argument from, you know, people on my side of the aisle is that is I think we're open to reforms. I think we're open to figuring out ways to stop this stuff. It's why you see kind of the professional right now, you know, looking at red flag laws and stuff. Um, but again, I think we're sensible in the sense of that if if what you're proposing is not going to do anything to stop this kind of thing, then you must be doing it for other reasons. And those other reasons are out here to, you know, you're either playing to your political base or you're doing it to, you know, again, confiscate rights of innocent people. It's, it's always when you see on social media, they, they, they hold up that photo of the Massey family where they're all posing their Christmas cards with their, their guns. And they're just like, this is the problem. And I'm like, yeah, but none of those people have shot anyone is so, um, and you know, kind of to the point about a conversation is, as I said, we can't have that anymore. Because the political right is instantly blamed for everything. And, um, you know, it's like I, I talked about on my podcast with Carol Markowitz's piece that said, you know, we're not allowed to grieve. We're not allowed to mourn because, well, you know, when we see when people say, you know, thoughts and prayers, you're automatically demonized just for saying that. And as I said, that that was that was largely the media attitude shift during the Obama years when something like this would happen. He kind of gave them the green light where, no, we're not going to have a discussion about this. We're not going to talk about common sense solutions. It's going to be confiscation. That's it. That's the end of it. And uh, that's when the rest of us kind of harden and go, well, that's not going to fix this. So we better start looking at other things. Yeah, I'll just make two uh, real quick points. Um, One, because my understanding is that the shooter in this case passed a background check. Um, and then the, the one, I think, sort of cogent, you know, common sense uh, solution that seems to make sense to me, and I was listening to the, the folks on the commentary podcast talk about it, is that um, the, the school shooters all seem to be between the ages of like 17 and 20. So if you raise the age to purchase firearms to 21, 
you might cut out a lot of that just because I mean they're you know frankly those their brains aren't developed and I think the the, the science is that you know with men in particular I mean they don't they're not really fully developed until they're twenty five. Now, of course, that, that 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 kind of age restriction wouldn't have stopped the guy in Vegas, right? Who no one still no one still knows what his motivation was. I mean, I think he was in his sixties, um, but you know that would be you know it seems to me a common sense thing. You know, you know you can't you got to wait till you're twenty one to, um, to to buy firearms, right? And maybe that would stop, you know, sort of the, these these disaffected kids because I don't think you know there are any instances of of of, of people in their mid twenties um, doing mass shootings at schools. I, I may be wrong about that. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I'm ambivalent on, you know, raising the age to 21. I mean, it's everything is so screwed up differently where, you know, you drive a car when you're 16, when you're 18, you vote or you sign up for military service. Um, I think Dana Leish has a very good argument on that stuff where she's like, if you're old enough to get drafted into the military to go fire an automatic rifle uh, on some foreign land for your country, then why shouldn't you be able to just buy a firearm to protect yourself? And I think that that's kind of, you know, where I am on the argument. Um, so if we're going to do that, then I think you raise everything to 21, like everything, voting, everything is up 21, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever. Um, but then, of course, that comes into would that what stops someone from going to a black market or Craigslist or, uh, you know, doing that? I mean, if these people are going to do this, they're they're seem pretty committed. You can make it harder for them to do it in the hope that they give up. But, you know, as much as I hate the, I hate the talk about there's just evil in this world. I mean, that's kind of what it is. There's screwed up people and you can try to limit their access to a gun, I guess like that, but that doesn't mean they're going to give up on it. So I'm ambivalent on raising it to 21, but if that's what we're going to do, then we should go do that to everyone. So, uh, Raphael, if you want to just a closing thought or two on this and so I can get through these other people and, you know, yeah, nothing else, nothing else <laughs> other than I, nothing else other than I just, you know, I, you know, I wish there was more sort of uh, calmer conversations like what's going on on this call. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe they should not, maybe they should give you they maybe they should give you a show instead of like letting like folks like Nicole Wallace kind of rant and rave for hours all day. They can't <laughs> afford me. <laughs> so, cheers, Raphael. Thanks. Take care. All right, uh, John. I'm going to kind of just blow through these guys here. John, uh, same thing. If you have kids, what's that like to? Take them to school is a single point entry. Um, if not, uh, some of your personal experience with this kind of thing would also be be good. And then any thoughts you have on what you saw this week with the shooting and the media reaction? Uh, you, you can hit unmute, uh, John, right down there at the bottom next to the thumbs okay. up. There the, you go. The, got it? Right? Yeah, I, mean, I got you. Go ahead. Yeah, I got it. Okay, great. Yeah. Hey, Miller. Uh, so I've got one kid in first grade, uh, another kid who's going to be starting kindergarten next year. Uh, we're in New Orleans, and so um, uh, it's very dense. And so there's probably a school zone every, oh, I don't know, five blocks. So when I'm driving my kid to school every morning, I go by a lot of other schools. And the, uh, and the, the car line to get in uh, is is universal to every single school in the area. Um, uh, so it's pretty much similar to what all the other uh, callers have said. The one other thing is that there are usually police officers um, dedicated uh, at the drop-off points, um, mostly just to direct traffic, uh, but they're armed, uh, and there's usually uh, two to four, depending on uh, how many, uh, whether how big the school is, and how many um, how many schools there are in the area? My kid's school is right next to another one. Um, 
my kid goes to a small Catholic school. Uh, there's single point of entry during the day. So drop off, at least during COVID, has been we drive into the parking lot, which also doubles as the playground. And you just drop the kid right off there. There's uh, two teachers who just uh, take the kids right inside. Uh, pickup is the same thing in the afternoon. You have a little tag on your car, uh, like was like someone else mentioned earlier, I think it was Scott, uh, with the name of, uh, of the family. And, you, and there's someone who's on a phone uh, and says, okay, uh, you know, uh, John's kid's coming in, get him ready, so then they bring him out. Um, however, if you if you miss the drop-off window, um, they lock the doors, and then you have to go uh, get your let your kid in through the front door. And there's a there's a camera, a video camera uh, with a doorbell on the wall. You press the button, um, uh, it rings the bell, and I assume that they look at the camera and then judge whether to come over or not. I I've never actually had them use the intercom. I'm not sure if it's working because not a lot of it in the city works. But uh, but then but you can't get in uh, the door until they come over and physically open it for you. So it's not being buzzed in. They they actually come up and they look at you directly. So those are the main those are the main things um, as far as the way our school works here. Uh, there are other doors uh, which which at other times students were able to get into um, uh, in the mornings and they would have two doors and both unlocked and my kid, I would just drop my kid off at the door and there wasn't anyone supervising. So I'm going to be having a word with the principal, um, about whether that policy is going to be changing for next year. Uh, so, so it's, it's kind of meant to be a single point entry, but it's just, it's not enforced is it, kind of what you're saying it, it, on other parts it, it, of the school. It, 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 so, so after lockdowns ended and after masking uh, let up, we went back to the apparently the old way of doing things at the school. Uh, my kids started right uh, after COVID um, uh, in uh, fall 2020. So, so they had adapted to this to, to this drop off thing where they would where they would take your temperature in the car. And then if your temperature was, then if you were in the acceptable range, they would let your kid out. And if it wasn't, then you'd have to, uh, then you have to go back home. Um, and then when we went back to a little bit more normal, it was, there were two points of entry and it was a little shocking to me that, that there were these two points of entry and they weren't really being supervised. So, uh, so I'm sure there's going to be a meeting about it. Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 it's, it's been a bit lax on that, but we've been, but since there was a uh, spike, you know, back in what was it, March or something, they decided, nope, we're going to go back to the, to the drop-off line in the morning. So, uh, so, so at least it's a little more rigorous in that way. Um, the school's small and it's kind of, it's kind of odd. Uh, the, the, the parking lot in the back is the playground and the basketball courts. And so there's a gate and they lock it in the morning after uh, after drop-off's over. So if someone wanted to get in, they'd have to go into the front door, or they'd have to scale a wall or, or a fence. Um, that, that's pretty much the only ways in. I think it's interesting that, and, and you're, you're, and this is, this is good that we have this point, is how much COVID contributed to something like a single point entry and a pickup line as opposed to mass shootings. And, you know, if COVID, you know, is going to keep that, if people are just going to say, well, COVID's over, but we're going to keep that policy in place because that seems to prevent shooters from coming in back doors. Um, and I've, I've seen a, a couple of writers talk about that as well, that, you know, the main reason they went to single point entry was because of COVID and now they've just decided to keep it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we have that. Um, uh, just, you know, from what from from my own experience you know, from Columbine onward, it seems like these shootings all tend to happen in more suburban schools or one in Houston. It wasn't in Houston. It was, it was um, way out in the suburbs. I used to live in Houston. And it, was, it was way out there. Um, uh, but but I, I kind of had two other thoughts. Uh, the, the, the first is I'm actually not very worried personally about being in the neighborhood. I've way on 15 year olds. So, so, so I'm more concerned, at least here in New Orleans with crime that's happening near the schools and some, and a bullet just, you know, going through windows or something that I am necessarily with these other precautions. And to that extent, it's, it's really odd and, and predictably so because the left is so uh, transparent that they call for they call for confiscation of guns when there's a school shooting but when there's violent crime they call that all, all they do is they kind of sit sit on their hands they don't want to talk they want to own up to their defund the police rhetoric and they don't talk about actually getting guns off the streets from criminals or from underage minors who are who are out committing the majority of the shootings right now at least here in my city. So th- yeah, that's- yeah, I mean, that's and we've talked about that. I mean, that's that's kind of a narrative problem for them right now as you have record crime happening in some of these cities and they're pushing, you know, bail reform and lax policies and, and lax enforcement on minor misdemeanors and drug possession and all of this stuff. And then they also want people to, you know, stop defending themselves. <laughs> so it's it's defund the police yeah, and take that, away yeah, your no, it, it, it's and they're going to have they're going to have to decide it's going to have to be one or the other because i think a lot of people see what they're doing here yeah no no the the, the uh, my, and this will just be my last thought um uh the, the other thing that just strikes me is uh i was listening to uh ryan long's uh podcast um uh thanks for turning me on to him um uh, and and they were saying, oh, you know, every time these you know, these shootings happens, it's always the same song and dance with the national conversation. But but really, it isn't. Uh, the left always has the same line. They're always doing the same line every single time. Uh, you know, ban AR-15s. You have other people calling for just confiscation of all guns or banning all guns. But I had never heard during previous school shootings. Uh, senators like Cruz or anybody else talking about single point of entry. So, you know, it was a few years back when we had the red flag law thing first kind of floated and we've kind of, you know, gone back and forth about that uh, since then. But the but the right seems to actually come up with new policy proposals and, and be actually trying to uh, uh, get new solutions that, that address the actual problem as it occurred with the current shootings, whereas with the left, it's always the same thing. So, uh, so I'll, I'll just leave. I'll just leave it at that, and uh, and I'll just uh, uh, let you get on the next guy. Sure, sure. Thanks, John. Uh, have a talk with your principal, please. <laughs> get him to not let that door open. Uh, I'm going to try to get through these uh, last six here. Um, we'll just keep doing this, Eric. Uh, if you've been listening again, the same kind of question is: uh, what What is it? What's the policy? Dropping your kids off at school? Is it a one entry? Is it security or lack thereof? Or uh, any thoughts that you also had uh, on things you saw this week? Sure. Yeah, I'm not a parent, but both of my uh, parents were uh, public school administrators. My dad was a superintendent of a school district, and my mom was a preschool uh, sort of uh, principal. So um, I was talking to my dad about this with the superintendent, and he was saying 
as far as mass shooters, there isn't really a lot that you can do to stop someone who is extremely motivated to uh, to get onto a campus because at least out here, like in Orange County, California, like um, uh, like a lot of the schools just have a chain link, chain link fence around the perimeter. And he was saying if someone really wanted to get on campus, they could just take a wire cutter and just cut the fence open and get in the campus that way. Um, and so that, I mean, that was just like sort of like a uh, conversation I had with my, uh, <laughs> my father who was a superintendent of a school district for a long time. And uh, the main things that they were really concerned about as far as like violence happening on campus was uh, actually kidnappings where there was like a custody dispute and someone had a restraining order on uh, the um, the other parent. And that was the main thing that they were worried about. So they would have uh, police officers and um, that, you know, the, they would have the, um, the people involved like that were part of the restraining order, notify the principal and, you know, that and the teacher uh, for that classroom about the parent that had the restraining order on them. Uh, but that was like the main thing that they were worried about. And um, and actually like sort of a side story, um, there was actually, uh, we actually had a real life um, uh, sort of, how you call it, like dangerous person drill where there was a bank robbery <laughs> near my house when I was like uh, seven or eight years old. So um, the only thing that my dad was telling me that you can really do is just have people locked down inside their inside their classrooms, and that's you really have to like uh, depend on the response time of police officers, which is why he is a little bit more distraught over the news of this one. Is that um, you know unless you want to have armed officers on every at every school, you really need to you know depend on uh, officers having a, a really close uh, response time. L- l- luckily, in the schools that I went to, my the schools that my dad was superintendent on, usually they had like maybe three to five minute response times uh, for a you know for an active shooter or if some unwanted person was on campus. Uh, interesting. And you said your mother was a, a, a preschool teacher. Yeah, yeah, she was a preschool teacher, and then eventually was like the principal of a preschool. Yeah. Okay, and but uh, she retired. She doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, they retired. Um, I mean, they probably they they retired before the 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 one the, the new town or the um, the one in Connecticut where all the yeah. uh, okay. before that happened. But yeah. you know, uh, they uh, my dad was instills in touch with the current current superintendent of the school district that he was at, and they they did put some more preventative measures on, you know, just making sure that all the fencing around the schools was at least uh, six feet high and, you know, things like that. I mean, even it's like a lot of it is much more psychological to make parents feel like their kids are safe. Uh, but, you know, um, a lot, a lot of it does sort of help like deter just sort of a rando, but if someone's really determined to get on the, campus they can really get on they can they can get they can do it but it's just um you have to really have to have armed uh personnel on on campus 
Huh, interesting. Um, thanks, thanks for that uh, information. Do you have any thoughts on uh, what you saw as far as the media reaction or what you're seeing in, the, in after this shooting in uh, Texas? Uh, not, not a whole lot. I mean, I, I'm sort of always bewildered where, like, someone, as you mentioned on your podcast yesterday, someone saying that the AR-15 was designed by Nazis. It's just, like, it, it's just an amazing thing <laughs> as yeah. far as, like, the state of our media that says, like, an editorial board is, like, Okay, yeah, we want that person still writing for our publication. It's yeah, just, they, uh, it's can, it's, I think Eric Fisher from Washington Post, senior editor, senior editor at the Washington Post. This isn't like, you know, junior tech reporter uh, basically said that the AR-15 was originally invented by the Nazis. So if the shooter's not a white supremacist, they figured out they can just make the gun a white supremacist, I guess. And, of course, there was no truth to this. Uh, the AR was invented in Indiana post Nazism, World War Two, but again, um, the idea when something like that gets published, it gets published because they want it to get published. You, you would think that a table of editors isn't sitting around and uh, just going, you know, did we look at this? Is this true? Is you would think that they know um, that it isn't, and they go ahead and they just publish it anyway. Eric, thank you for that. Thank you for uh, your thoughts on that, and, and uh, with you with your personal family history on that. Um, going to try and get through these last six here. So not, uh, same, same question. If you have kids, what's it like dropping them off? What is the school like? Is it a single point entry, um, doors? And if not, or what's, uh, any thoughts that you had on the shooting this week? Sure. So, uh, I'm the old man on the call. I graduated high school in 87 and I went to high school in New York city and it's just a very, very different experience. Now, uh, I've got a seven year old who's in, uh, basically elementary school in Nashville and, when I went to school, we went to school on a bus, and it was 4,000 kids in my high school, and we didn't have metal detectors. We had a security guard. There was no security officer. I'd be curious to see what it's morphed into right now because I'm sure it's not what it was when I went to school. Uh, but for, for my son's school, we, we had him in school in Huntsville, Alabama, and we moved him to Nashville, and it was generally the same experience. It was a single point of entry. And if you came in when the doors, say, after, after the admissions time, after the car line was done, you had to go up and basically uh, ring, uh, ring, ring the security key, and uh, they'd, they'd have a camera there. They'd, ha- they'd inquire who you were, and they'd buzz you in. You'd have to go to the front office. It's pretty standard protocol from what everyone else is saying. The, the, the purpose around that was, was really securing access to make sure people didn't abscond with a child. That's very, very similar to what we see in certain hospitals. So I'm a physician. And I can tell you, if you go into a hospital, you, you do not have access to the maternity ward. You do not have access to the NICU. You do not have access, in many cases, to the pediatric floor. And the reason for that is they do not want you eloping with the children. They do not want somebody coming in and people were stealing babies. So it, it, it's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's a security regimen that's a pretty standard thing. Uh, so I'm not sure why they're, why they're poo-pooing all of this when it's standard practice in, in, a, in a bunch of places. Um, maybe they're bereft of ideas. I, I, I don't know. I will share one story about what happened at my son's school about a year ago. So we live in Brentwood, Tennessee, and Brentwood is a very manicured, very posh area. The schools are fantastic. There was an active shooter, not on the school, but there was somebody going around in one of the residential areas about a mile and a half away from the school, breaking into places. This kid was causing trouble. He shot a dog. They locked my child's school down. 
they had a they had a security protocol. They locked the school down, and they sent the message to every single parent to lock the school down. Um, if the purpose of this exercise that we're going through is to keep the kids safe, um, I think we need to look at everything. The thing that I find most disturbing forget the, forget the police response for one second. The thing I find most disturbing is there was an active shooter outside of that school. I, I think most schools, if they heard there was gunfire or something, they would have some sort of security protocol to say, okay, we enact security protocol X, lock the place down. That never happened. Forget the resource officer. They never, they never secured the school, and I'm scratching my head because it's a pretty standard thing to be able to do. And uh, as the son of a seven-year-old, I, I look at these kids, I look at these parents, and my heart goes out to them because the... the <laughs> They, they could have deterred this in so many ways. And I think the focus on, on the firearm, I get it. He's a, he's a mentally ill kid who was troubled and disturbed. He probably shouldn't have had a gun. But to everybody else's point, you know, if this, some people just want to watch the world burn. If this kid wanted to watch the world burn and basically uh, commit a suicide by cop, he found the per- perfect place to do it. Go out in a blaze of glory. The whole thing is very, very disturbing. Um, it's an opportunity for us to have a constructive conversation. We refuse to take it. Uh, and and it, it's, nobody wants to see these kids shut up. Nobody wants to see these kids hurt. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to have to sit down with my son, and he doesn't have a clue what's going on, and explain this to him. And then I'm going to have to have a conversation with him about, if, this, if you ever find yourself in this situation, this is what you need to do. That's a terrifying conversation to, to think about having with, with the child, but I guess this is the world we live in. Yeah, and, and like I said, kind of, you know, why I like to do this format is I'm, I'm trying to prove a point here, which is you have journalists who, you know, are snarking on Twitter at this idea, and here I'm talking to real people who have to have, like you said, real conversations and have real kids in school who are like, no, this is actually what we're doing here. And, you know, like you say, when, when something like this happens, it is. You should be, you, we should be debating ideas. We should be talking, but we don't get that anymore. So the finger gets pointed by those, by those very same people, and they're not interested in that conversation. They're interested in their own personal uh, result. And that's kind of, you know, to your point about saying, you know, like, we, we, should, we should be talking through these things. Well, there's a reason why we can't do that anymore. Uh, Sanat, do you have any uh, closing any closing thoughts on what you saw this week, or um, or anything of that like? Yeah, uh, just I'm a long suffering Islanders fan who spent five years in Denver. Go Avs! <laughs> I'll take that. I'm I'm both. I'm an Avs and suffering Islanders fan. I still am, even though I, I moved out of uh, Brooklyn. So I, I still I still kind of root for both of, both of my guys. So I'm 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 hoping for it. So I'm not worried yet, but we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, thanks, Sanat. Thanks. thanks for sharing that story. And um, again, uh, good luck having that uh, really bad, com- you know, awkward conversation with with your kids. So it's unfortunate. Um, Matt from Boston, Massachusetts. <coughs> Miller from Brooklyn, New York. What's up, brother? How you doing? doing okay. Uh, I'm, I'd be lying. I'd be lying if I said I'm not sitting here watching. The uh, I have the TV on in the background. I'm mute right now. So. Well, I'll be quick, and I know that I wanted to. Hope, I I end up hanging up, calling back in, and I want to obviously let people with parents or kids that chime in. I do have a sister who is a high school teacher, and in Massachusetts, and she has single point of entry with a resource officer on duty with a with a firearm. Um, 
And I, as a her brother, being very concerned, her school system's a pretty good one. But every year she always kind of says, yeah, there's kind of the trouble kid that they're always kind of concerned about. She's, I think, maybe like sophomore or junior she teaches. So by the time the kid gets to her, like that has a little bit of a reputation. So um, it's concerning, but also uh, less concerning because they have mitigating factors with single point of entry, like everyone else is heading the call, uh, and also um, <clears throat> resource officer. My perspective about this is quite different, uh, not different, but I worked in the door locking security system for several years, uh, hardware and software. So I have a pretty good understanding about how all that technology works, what is available in the industry to schools. Um, I worked in the hospitality sector. The company I worked for is the large, what I worked for was the largest manufacturer globally. Um, you use their locks every day. You probably just don't realize it. Um, we were the company that had the locking system in the Mandalay Bay. And after the shooter um, uh, at the Mandalay Bay, obviously, the, you know, committed that uh, horrific event, we went and upgraded the system. Um, there are plenty of systems to the comment earlier about like when the shooter was shooting outside of the school in Texas, that there are essentially there are technologies that are quite simple that you can do a central lockdown. So working in the hotel industry, what we would typically do is install a, a locking system. And if there was a security breach or an issue outside of the hotel, a lot of this technology started being adopted after the Vegas shooting was you basically push a button and it locks the entire fucking hotel down. And that same technology is available to hospitals and uh, schools. Um, it varies slightly in terms of like the hardware you put in, but the same concept is there. The, and because I was in the locking and security industry, I'd bump into all these other people, um, product people who had other technologies for school specifically, um, integrated basically um, like systems and processes and technologies from windows to alarm systems, everything imaginable to make school safer. And the frustration that I have in this is I listened to people during COVID for two years talk about HVAC systems. We need to upgrade HVAC systems to keep germs out in COVID. It's fucking bullshit. It's expensive. It's hard to retrofit HVAC systems. But you can retrofit schools with locks and doors and windows and alert systems and essentially abilities to centrally lock down schools so bad people can't get inside. And so, so Matt, real fast, because I think you were going with where my question was going to be is how much how much generally do you think estimated would it cost for just an average size school? Yep. Uh, let's let's say kindergarten. I was doing the math. Grade. I was doing the um, math before. Um, I would say, like, I heard the school was 600 people. I mean, it all, all has to do with the number of doors. So, you know, let's just say a 250-room hotel with, like, a, a dozen exterior doors. You're probably talking between, like, sixty-five to 150000 bucks. You can do, like, the big dog, like, Mac Daddy, like, fully integrated locking system, ballistic windows, alert systems, like, the bells and whistles. If you want to keep people safe... That would probably cost you hundred half a million dollars. An HVAC system would probably cost you thirty to fifty dollars per square foot. And I don't know how big schools are, but let's just say an average school is five thousand square feet. That's probably not even that's probably not even close. But like Tim Miller's fucking school was tens of thousands of square feet. Like you're talking about multi millions of dollars. Um, so a practical solution with plenty of technology out there, which is a great mitigating factor that can 
be upgraded using the leftover COVID, COVID money are locking systems and alert systems and, and abilities to centrally lock down doors and upgrading windows so they're essentially not bulletproof. Well, yeah, you can do get bulletproof windows. They exist. So, um, Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's, this is what I like about doing this is because I didn't expect that I was going to have someone who installed locks. <laughs> I literally <laughs> would fuck. I could yeah. fucking install a lock if, if you needed to. It's crazy. Like, And the technology is great out there. There's mobile technology. There's infrared technology. There's wireless technology. I mean, there's AI technology that detects people that can't be within X amount of, you know, the guy that was describing the fencing systems, right? Okay, like if you drew a perimeter with AI and you said, okay, if this if this perimeter is almost like an electrical fence for a dog, if, you, if somebody breaches this, we know somebody's not succumb, supposed to come through the part of the campus that way and, oh, trigger the fucking central lock system so that all the doors in the exterior lock. I mean, it's just bananas that we're listening to Chastin Buttigieg say these people are crazy about central point of entry, which everyone this call said they've had a relative or a, a child who goes to a school with a central point of entry. And there's plenty of technology out there that is not going to keep the crazy person out that wants to get in completely out all the time, but it's going to really help. So. Right. As just a deterrence. And, and that's the other thing. I mean, I don't think anybody's saying that, you know, a, a policy of a single point of entry is, is going to result in zero casualties if someone comes walking up with two ARs. But the point is, is that it will, de- it's a deterrent to where, to where you limit, you know, them reaching classrooms. And if you can, if you can do that to where, you know, if someone does this and, you know, a, a secretary is a victim or something like that, but then because of the, the lockdown and the shutdown effects, um, you only lose one casualty, two casualties, and zero kids. Um, I, I think that that's where the debate is. I don't think anybody's suggesting, you know, what Chastain Buttigieg said was, you know, they don't sign the guest book. They're going to just come blazing in. Yeah, well, you can you can funnel them to one spot is the point, and then you can deal with them from there. And, and there, um, are, which there is, are architects. Which seems to be a thing that they're failing at. There are architects, designers, and technology people out there, engin- you know, engineers, who are meeting with schools on a regular basis and pitching this stuff. And again, it's not in the school budget. I get it. But a lot of things became available in the school budgets or at the federal budget for schools last year. And I know a family member who's in the school system. And I said, what did they do with the money they gave you for COVID? And their response was, they bought a bunch of wipes. They sat into the closets all summer. When we came back, they had mold on them. Um, and- I talked to I talked to a teacher who they'd use their COVID funds on like a teacher re- relaxation lounge. It's- so they they turned a room into like a room with a treadmill and some candles or something. Like and- it's crazy. And I'll just uh, two quick things. I have an LTC. I do not have a gun yet, um, but I have an LTC, and I'm going to be buying a gun very shortly. I am very uh, libertarian in a sense where this conversation is now not about gun safety and gun restrictions and making people safe. It is about taking people's guns away. And I'm not a hardcore, hardcore gun people, but I see where this is going. So my two comments about things that people said in this podcast, red flag law, bad. We have it in Massachusetts. Think about it from a practical standpoint. If you have some issues mentally and you want to share that information with somebody and you own a gun, say you're a veteran, but you know that there's a red flag law in your state and you're crazy, not crazy aunt, I'm not going to blame the crazy aunts, um, 
and somebody within your, it doesn't have to be your immediate family. If somebody within your, uh, like close proximity to you, it doesn't have to be your mom or dad or sister or brother finds out about this and reports to you. And then you basically get taken in whatever and your guns and your, and your civil liberties taken away from you. What are you going to do less of? You're less inclined to share this information or how you're feeling with people. It's a bad policy. It's a bad idea. People don't think it through. And I, yeah, also- it's, it's not, it's, it's not so much the idea that's bad. It's the people who would implement the policy is that I'm worried about. And it's like I said, you know, um, what, what happens if you're a gun owner and you misgender someone and that person files a complaint? Is that something like in the state of New York? Are they going to take away your firearm because you didn't use someone's proper pronouns? And people think that, you know, they probably roll their eyes at me saying that, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. you have kids being prosecuted in Michigan right now for using another student's wrong pronouns. And so that's where I look at it. I, I look at it and I'm just, I don't, the concept of the idea isn't bad. Um, I don't want it rushed through without specific itemized things about what, what will trigger a red flag law. Like the Buffalo shooter, if you were taken in for observation uh, over mental health, yeah, I think that kind of should trigger a, a red flag law. But again, I don't trust the people in charge enough to give them that kind of power because they're going to abuse it. And like I said, it could be the most meaningless thing. It could be you got a traffic ticket or you got upset with a police officer or um, again, so he has a temper and I've seen that happen. And then you get your firearm taken away. Or like I said, the most obnoxious case, which we all fucking know probably would happen is you, you, you use the wrong pronoun or it's a, it's a hate speech. And we have to take away your guns now because we saw you, uh, you sent a bad tweet or something. And we know that that's going to happen. I, I totally agree. And the, and the other thing um, is I did hear, I've heard this argument about increasing the age uh, to 21. And you can use the, hey, if I have to serve at 18, you know, then, then you know, I need to be able to own a gun. I think that's a, a, a fine conversation. I don't think it's a fine conversation to have. This, as a collective, people shouldn't be punished uh, because of this, if you have to look at the complexity of this incident, you had a failure by law enforcement, most likely you had a teacher who did something that was egregious out of, out of accident. You had a absolute lunatic with no family structure or unit. There's so many variables to go into this and say, Hey, we need to increase the, we need to redefine what the adult age in this country is for everything from you, if we need to do it, we're going to do it for voting, which the liberals aren't going to want. We need it for, for driving, which people aren't going to want. Um, hey, how about this? You can't have a fucking abortion unless you're 21. Um, it just doesn't go anywhere good. And the if you want to do it at the state level, there's a pressure release valve at the state level. If you do anything at the federal level, it's just going to make these people in this country even more divided. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Matt, thanks. Matt from New Jersey. Uh, we'll get through these last three here. Ivan, Joseph, and then Rye, and we'll call it a night, and you guys can get on with your weekends. Uh, Ivan, same question. If you have kids, uh, what is it? What is their school like? Is it a single point access at the front? Um, or if you don't, uh, you free to share your thoughts on what you saw this week or any other experience you might have. Uh, if you're new, there's a, the mute button right down there at the bottom next to the emoji. Uh, you can unmute your phone right there. Ivan, I'm going to go ahead and dump you. If you can jump, uh, if you can jump on in the next, 
two, three minutes, I'll go ahead and take you to finish up. Joseph, good to see you. Uh, same question, if you have kids or um, what's your experience like from graduating yourself or if you have family who are in the school system, what's that like for them? I have no kids, but I graduated high school three years ago, and it was a like very, very small private Christian school. Um, my graduating class was like six, so extremely small. And we did have a system where like you could like buzz in so that like the administrator could like let you in like inside the school building. Like we have like main entrance, but then we also have like side doors that like um sort of, like, chilling in the back of the school to, like, let in for, like, the daycare because the school also had, like, a daycare and also was a church as well. <laughs> so you had doors to, like, the um, church building as well and a separate building for the um, for the gym. So not entirely a single entry point school system, but, like, you had, like, many points of, like, sort of, like, exit and places you could get out. But also, I think we... I think we got implemented like school shooter drills close to maybe 2015 ish. I remember when Sandy Hook happened. I, I, I commented it before, but I, I, it happened like when I was like in sixth grade, just entering a middle school. So it was pretty much that was kind of like the main scare at the time of like how we were going to change it. And I think they were talked about like, you know, lockdown drills, but they weren't like implemented until a little bit. Later, but there were a couple of times, like, I think almost every year, even, like, my high school, like, my high school time, there were, like, they were implemented, like, school shooter drills and stuff, and to where, like, you hide in the, you hide in the bag, you hide in the corner where they can't see you, you put basically, like, a dark piece of paper over the window of the door so that they can't see you, and we didn't, we didn't have, and since we're a private school, we didn't have any, like, school source officers, any security, so you more or less just, like, pray and hope God is on your side that day. There it goes. Sorry about that. My microphone was not unmuting. Um, And you said that this was, what, three, four years ago, four years ago? Yeah, it was three years ago when I graduated. The anniversary of it just came up. And so, even when I went back to my, like, elementary school, like, around that time, just, you know, finished with my old teachers, I noticed that the security system had definitely updated because they had, like, installed, like, sort of huge gates and they had to buzz in and sort of, like, go through, like, sort of different, like, small security thing, like, things in a way to, like, sort of let know, but sort of, like, let the administrator, like, know, like, you want to see who you, like, who you are, who you want to see, and all that stuff, so, kind of seeing that stuff sort of, like, shocked me, because then it was, like, finally registered in my brain of, like, how much, like, it changed, especially, like, when it came to, like, school security after, like, these, um, mass shootings. And um, and what did you see this week that kind of shocked you at the shooting or uh, what stuck out for you as far as the uh, media reaction that you saw? Um, nothing then 
out of how they usually react every time the mass shootings happen. But I think for whatever reason, this is affecting me more now. I don't know why, because I thought for the last couple of years, I've mostly been just like numb to these mass shootings. It's like it always brings up to the same debate over and over again. And I've been a prone gun in life for the majority of my life since I was like 12 years old when I developed an interest in guns. So it was like, I've heard every anti-gun argument under the sun. So it's like nothing new. But then like, was kind of seeing um i guess brady wrong emotions of like these are actually like we're little kids that um and you start to see the pictures and you start to hear the stories and stuff and then you hear what happened with the cops and then it just sort of becomes uh, more of more or less like just a repeat of like what happened with parkland but i think seeing more of the arguments like on social media are like slowly starting to get to me because the amount of like viciousness and the more of like you can't be pro like you can't be pro gun and pro life or you shouldn't argue against with these statistics and if you do you're the pro- part of the problem and it's kind of like brought back to what you um talked about in the podcast with like carol markowitz's uh piece that came out a couple years ago with christchurch shooting i think what is the and it says that like the right can mourn conservatives are not allowed to mourn I think I felt it more this time around where it was like, you can't, it's like, you can't mourn. You don't have a right to mourn where it's like, I've actually seen some pro-gun advocates be like, I am, sh- I am literally like shaken up by this. I don't know what to do. It's because like the truth of the matter is like, nobody wants, nobody wants kids to like, you know, get shot up and like die, you know, it's just sort of like a false equivalency. And it's just like, I think most of us are really just frustrated because we don't have a solid answer what to do. I think I said that the other day. It's just like I don't know, like what to say or do because, like, nobody's offer a clear, concrete solution. And if somebody does, they're just getting knocked out of the room. It's like it's proof that like some people are just like not interested in this debate. Seriously, they do want to like achieve like just quick dunk, you know, dunking talking points on Twitter. And it's like you see the shit that like trends on Twitter, or like get that gets a whole bunch of likes. It's just. Absolutely false, absolutely wrong. It just like drives you fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, and you see it with more frequency, and it's faster. And as I said on my podcast, um, it 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 reaches kind of land speed records of ludicrous speed. Uh, with every one of these that happens. Um, and, and our simple answer is you're not going to confiscate guns. So you guys better start thinking of something else. <clears throat> and the New York times even wrote like when one of these happens, um, gun ownership goes up and that's because they certainly think, well, they're going to, this is where they're going to get, um, confiscation. They're finally going to get it passed. And we saw that that's not going to happen. Um, Joseph, thanks for your time, and it's good to see you. And we'll finish up here uh, with Ryan. I know we went late, but um, I, I did. I did just want to hear from everybody that I could. And uh, Ryan, will go ahead and bring us home here. I'm having some tech issues right now, um, so I don't know what's going on. I'm having trouble unmuting, and I'm getting weird notifications. So um, s- sorry if this is a little glitchy. We might have broke Colin, so we'll see. Um, I am, I am trying to take rise call here. I don't want this person to miss. Um, 
Give me one second, guys. Sorry about this. Okay, so that happened. Um, I'm going to just try this. Uh, Rye, I'm just going to invite you up to speak with me. Again, I apologize for this. This is not interesting, I'm sure. You guys would all much rather be at Top Gun or watching hockey. Um, okay. Um, I'm, I'm having some super bad tech problems here. Uh, I'm probably just going to end this here. Rye, I apologize. Rye, if you jump on, I'm probably going to be back here, uh, Tuesday after the holiday, unless this fixes. Um, hopefully you can hear me. Um, I do apologize. Uh, Rye, if you can jump on probably Tuesday and, uh, I'll make sure to take you first on this if you can. Um, but I'm having some serious tech issues that I'm going to have to jump on with Colin with. Um, so I do apologize. Uh, I'm going to, unless this fixes here in the next minute, I'm going to go ahead and wrap the room up. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting like notifications blinking and my mic's blinking. So something's going on. Um, so again, I do apologize. Um, so kind of the point of doing this and hopefully you can hear me, um, was to kind of show a lot of these guys. And uh, if you see re reporters or journalists snarking about single point entries, this is a good episode to give them and say, here, here was a pod, a live podcast where we talked with several parents and every single one of the parents we talked to tonight, their school does a one point of entry, uh, locked doors, fire exits, no entry from any of the doors. And um, I was pretty confident that that's how this was going to go. So this is a good episode to use put it at them and say, Hey, go, go listen to some real people for a change and not your fucking, uh, New York party, Washington post book club, happy hour. Um, so again, uh, thanks everyone who shared your story, um, and their information and not, and not just parents. I mean, we heard from doctors, we were from teachers, we were from principals and PTA students and, and meaning and everything. And so again, that's why I like to do this. Um, I should have a podcast tomorrow morning, um, I will probably talk more about what we talked about tonight and then, uh, I'll be off probably until Tuesday. I will be on Kennedy Tuesday night as of right now. Um, so be sure to tune in for that as well. Uh, I'm Stephen O'Malley. You can get me at Red Steez on Twitter. Um, I'm generally pretty good at replying to, uh, tweets that I see. Um, I don't really care about follower accounts or anything like that. Uh, and, and as well as you can get me on Patreon at the versus media podcast, there. comments, messages there. Be sure to subscribe. Um, once again, uh, I do apologize, Rye. I'm still sitting here trying to get you up here, but, uh, I think we broke Colin. Um, we always do these, we go two hours, we go the length of a star Wars movie. So, um, again, I'll try to get you up next time if possible. I'm sorry that you had to wait and, uh, and then it died. Um, again, thanks everyone, uh, for coming in, spending a, a couple hours here on a Friday night and, uh, go avalanche. <laughs>